So um, I'll go ahead and get started. We'll kind of start off with this little webinar. So um, I took a couple of screenshots from the questions people were asking. Um, people on the webinar were asking the presenter. Um, and one one person asked, how do you quantify near other aircraft? Um, and basically the rule is generally a near mid-air collision is defined as less than 500 feet uh, a 500 foot bubble and requires reporting by the pilots involved. Um, next person asked, does interfere include distract? So if a uh, UAV is operating um, near an airfield or during an emergency response event, um, he asked, uh, interfere, does interfere also include distract? It says it's up to law enforcement to make that determination. However, anything that takes first responders away from their primary duties may be considered as possible interference. Um, next question, how about an accident scene? How far away must a drone stay, stay away from, let's say, a car accident on a highway? Um, they said this is a case-by-case -case determination. There is no standard offset. It's dependent on the particular situation. For example, if a medevac is involved, the standoff could be further than a minor collision with no injuries. Uh, what's the best way to report infractions, such as flying over people at small local concerts? Uh, please contact your local law enforcement assistance program, i.e. the LEAP program. Um, to report any events you believe may violate FAA safety regulations, including operating over people. Um, let's see. Does manned aircraft trump unmanned aircraft during life safety operations or search and rescue? If SUAS are deployed well before any manned assets arrive, does that mean the SUAS has to yield to the helicopters even though their operations were ongoing before the arrival of the manned aircraft? Uh, the answer was manned operations do trump uh, unmanned in the rules. On The on-scene commander would have to take this into account when launching aircraft at the scene and coordinate the launches and recoveries. So that was some of the stuff there. Um, they really, really, really pushed the uh, LEAP program uh, for basically the gist of it was to tell basically told the officers to do their job as they normally would if there's any kind of incident that involves an suas um they were to take care of the scene immediate you know in the immediate time frame and then contact leap for assistance with um any issues with the uas so um all in all i mean from the little bit that i i probably caught the first 30 minutes of it um all in all it was basically just going over the rules and really pushing the leap program so um i just wanted to kind of cover a little bit of that webinar um it wasn't really i guess i i felt it should be a little bit more especially when educating our our law enforcement and our first responders but you know who knows we we probably really need to kind of delve into that ourselves and and start educating law enforcement as well um, I, I think there's a little bit and Dave maybe or anybody would would probably agree that there's a lot of differentiation between 
the different types of drones, what they're capable of doing, what they're used for, you know, and that kind of stuff that, that would really be informative to law enforcement individuals. But um, any thoughts from anybody on that? Yeah, one of the things that I've been seeing this, Dave, one of the that uh, we've been seeing at uh, in upstate New York is an, a number of um, law enforcement um, agencies are acquiring uh, drones, and you can see the the, uh, the guys out um, trying to practice with them, and they're struggling a bit. So to me, it's the best way to uh, co-opt uh, these folks in a very in a very positive way would be to help them out and uh, get them. Uh, feeling more comfortable uh, with the gear they're using, which is uh, mostly uh, DJI-like uh, cinematographic uh, drums. And uh, to me, that's uh, an approach that would be, uh, uh, I would imagine, well-received, knowing some of our uh, local uh, law enforcement up where I live. Yeah, I think that would definitely be well-received. I think probably countrywide, um, having some subject matter experts help with training their officers and the use and, and capabilities of the units. That would be awesome if we could provide that. What, y'all don't? <laughs> I've, I've not trained any. I've talked to with police officers about incorporating drones into their uh, units, but uh, beyond that, I haven't, I haven't trained anybody yet. I've helped out individuals, not as a police officer, though. They were just their own little toy. But I will be getting together with the sheriff of Orange County and talking to him because we had an incident right outside our door where a uh, suspect fled and got in an accident out here next to our house and he shot at the police officers at which point they had to back off and then he ran into the woods and they called for the chopper to come in and the chopper decided that it didn't want to move until daylight broke. Well, my whole point is for the price of that helicopter and the maintenance and the pilot, every single cop car could have a thermal drone in its trunk. Yep. And that's that's the thing I've I talked with police about here in Phoenix was I was dealing with the the Phoenix Police Department and letting them know you know hey you know for the cost of putting a a helicopter on scene you could have you know twenty drones doing the same exact thing and I mean all you'd be burning was electricity you mm -hmm. know it's it's a win win scenario and um. Yeah, it's I I don't believe Phoenix has incorporated drones yet, but I know they were talking about it about a year ago. So uh, I'll have yeah. to check back in. It's really a no-brainer, and I don't know why they haven't jumped on it yet. Now, granted, they would have to be 107 certified to uh, pilot that thing, but I mean that's only a $200 test and. Most people can pass it. That yeah, I mean, studied. they could they could incorporate that into police academy training. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, all right. Well, good information. Um, so the big thing I really wanted to talk about tonight was the pending um 
SUAS Operator Knowledge Exam. And this is part of the 2018 uh, FAA reauthorization. And it's going to be one of the future requirements once everything goes live with that in order to fly. Now, um, I know we, in our some of our internal discussions, have uh, wondered how that's going to get implemented. And um, we did get some feedback uh, regarding who is currently involved with creating that. Um, but what do you guys feel should be in the operator knowledge exam? What kind of information? Do you feel it should be similar to the 107? Uh, do you feel like it should be its own test? Um, should we just be grouped together under part 107? Are you talking about uh, the basic person flying? Yeah, or? the average recreational hobbyist person flying. You know, I see all those questions and everything, and I mean, some of them make sense to have on there, but a lot of them don't. Like, first off, who gives a crap what the weather is and what affects what? It really comes down to can they fly? Can they show that they are able to control it? Because, I mean, when I first started, I had a little bit of a rough time because there wasn't no videos back then. And I've lost quite a bit in the trees and everything. And it took me a little while to figure out that, look, you can't flip back and forth between line of sight and FPV because that messes you up. Um, I really think they should have almost like a DMV type thing where you actually have to show that you can control it course i think that would be more along the lines of a 107 pilot at that point but as far as the average person i think it should just stay the way it is with just the regular okay you have one two four ten drones that's your number but i mean it's all kind of moat because they have no way of uh enforcing it not to mention that somebody that's going to do stuff illicitly or illegally they're not going to register anyway okay so you feel like enforcement might be an issue in terms of uh being able to or having to show that you passed the test right yeah okay so um, <clears throat> let's look at, uh, something like, should you be required to know how to fly line of sight? I would think so. That would be cool. Okay. And, um, so things like the weather, things like, um, I know topographical maps are, uh, incorporated into the um, the 107, knowing how to read. Uh, uh, Dave, help me out here. What's the aeronautical maps? Sorry. Uh, sectional, uh, sectional maps. Sectional um, maps. So I was thinking along those lines, w wouldn't it be prudent if to uh, be able to 
uh, understand the uh, Lance L A A N C, and which of course would require some rudimentary understanding of. Uh, Unbutton. Okay. What were you saying, Dave? I, I was suggesting that it would be uh, beneficial to, as part of the test, to have some working knowledge of the L A A N C. Uh, which is being incorporated, of course, into a number of uh, apps and is being um, considered for uh, recreational as well as uh, uh, 107 operation. And is okay. now in place across the country, right? I mean, it's, it's in. Yeah, it's in. It's definitely in. I know it's here in Phoenix. Um, if it's not in, it's rolling out. Uh, I did have a schedule of that somewhere, but yeah, the, the most last, places the last the last piece of the country was the uh, North Central, and that was September 2018. So yep. the country is countrywide; it's up and running. Awesome. So I would I would think that that should be part of um, a recreational uh, exam that says, "Yeah, I've, I I understand the principles and can use." Um, maybe it's before you fly, or maybe it's uh, Kitty Hawk or Air Map, one of the. Uh, the apps that are being incorporated into the overall uh, Lance system. Okay. I would say it's Any... it's really good to be able to read some of the sectional charts and understand the airspace you might be in. On the other hand, I'd say the the weather related stuff, uh, at least for me and for my drone, the weather really doesn't matter. I mean, I've flown in all kinds of extremes. It it really it doesn't matter how windy, how wet, how snowy. Uh, oh, really? my drone will handle it just fine. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think, I don't think weather really plays a huge role into what we do. Um, so yeah, that can be left off. So maybe some rudimentary knowledge of sectional charts. Yeah. Some basic knowledge would be good. Okay. Um, all right, so let's look at getting somebody into the hobby. How do you feel somebody getting into the hobby is going to be able to prepare for said test? I mean, let's look at let's look at a couple examples. Let's look at like a 25, 30 year old individual who um, is getting into the hobby, and then let's look at you know, let's say a 12 year old getting into the hobby. What should be the differences between those? Should they have different tests? Should they fall into the same thing? Um, how do you feel that should work? Because I, here's, here's my thoughts is that we need to eliminate the entry qualifications for getting into the hobby, if that makes sense. I agree. So, That's definitely a fear is that the test, if done poorly, would keep people from the hobby, or even just the the knowledge that it exists might be the, enough of a barrier to say, ah, I guess I'm not even going to try. It's not worth it. I'm not sure how we overcome that, but it's a fear I have. Could there be something for kids, like, in training where they're under the supervision of a parent who has a certificate or, or whatnot already? Yes. Uh, so I know under just for registration of drones, I think it's anybody under the age of 13 has to fly under their parent um, who is registered. Um, there is already something kind of in place for that. I'm just kind of looking in terms of at what point do you, I mean, and again, this comes down to 
judgment as a parent, but at what point do you release said person to go ahead and take the test and be able to fly on their own? Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And I think it just takes someone whenever they're ready on their own, I guess, too. Well, one of the things that uh, in ham radio they're um, pretty keen on is um, setting up the radio and uh, first and foremost, safety. You know, you're dealing with a fair amount of power if you're uh, high frequency uh, transmitting. And so, you know, the, the test is organized to include not only the rules uh, and general setup, but also safety. And I think those are, if we said rules and navigation, those are probably three categories that might be appropriate uh, for uh, a knowledge exam. So I'd like to run with that idea for a second. So if we're looking at, obviously the, the FAA's rules and regulations should be on the test. You need to know those in order to you know, stay legal to fly. But what in terms of safety, and this is where I'm kind of tapping your guys' experience, um, what in terms of safety do you wish you had known when you were first getting into the hobby? How light, mm, lipos. Lipos. Okay, so lipo yeah. safety? Lipo safety and just, yeah, how sh- not how sharp the props are, but just how important it is to be safe flying near people. Oh, okay. man, I've got pictures. <laughs> that would have been helpful. <laughs> yeah, I, I fail, think everyone fail safe. probably... <laughs> fail safes? Okay. Fail safe. Making sure it and works. Properly setting them up, yeah. Yep. Yeah, fail safe is a good one. Very good. Okay, lipo safety and charging protocol. Thank you, Miata. Let's see. Yeah, with the current state of batteries, it's very important to know how to properly charge and man and maintain your batteries for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, Josh, did you catch catch that one? Um, I'm not sure who said it, but flying near people. I think that's a a really good uh, safety precaution. Absolutely, I did catch that. Um, putting it in the notes on the topic sheet um so what else what else safety wise i know for me i know a couple of you guys manage or you guys uh, were talking about props so props propeller safety assuming this we're working on an fpv centric knowledge test uh talking about the frequencies that we currently use and interference and radio waves and all that stuff frequency Antennas. management excellent yep FCC requirements too. Yep. Okay. Even maybe properly powering up and and guidance so that you don't blast out somebody else's video. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And what about uh, etiquette? Should etiquette be something that we include on there? I'd kind say we should. Race thing. Sorry, I know my keyboard's probably loud. Hopefully someday a lot of that is irrelevant if our technology gets better. We don't have to worry about blasting each other out of the sky, but for now, that's pretty important. Absolutely. Yeah, we don't have impound uh, tables at at our meets for uh, transmitters. Thing of the past. All right. Um, anything else you guys can think of? This is all really good stuff. 
All right. Well, um, so let's go back to. Uh, I'm trying to get all my notes it, in order here the, as I'm typing. On the, on the setup side of things, one of the things we didn't talk about was okay, um, a, a couple of questions maybe on troubleshooting and. Uh, it uh, it amazed me in, in the in the ham operating uh, test in the in the uh, general class license they go into great length about um, you know troubleshooting and figuring out and uh, determining the appropriate SWR of uh, antenna now you know I'm not suggesting going that deep but just a basic uh, guideline on uh, troubleshooting might okay. be uh, some help to uh, again, thinking back to what would help someone who is just getting into the hobby, and they're like, "Gosh, I don't know what you know. This darn thing won't won't arm, or it um, it's jumping up into the air. My you know, ooh, props are on backward, or not the motors, right. the motors are not mapped right, or you know, and it or the motors are spitting up on the bench crazy without props on. Is that a bad yeah. thing? Yeah, I got air mode on. What you know? What's the problem here? Right? Got it. Awesome. I like it. That would be like a. The best thing for that would be like a resource, like uh, say, like this channel, or Zoe's channel, or my channel, or there's a few of us out there, like UAV Futures as well. Yeah. Where you can ask questions like that and get answers. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that should, I mean, that's definitely a resource. I think a lot of this is trying to help those beginners who don't know those resources. And yeah, that's the um, whole reason I've got this channel of mine. Yep. You could put something so, in there to point people to where they can get help or how to find a community or how to find people in your area. All right. By the way, does the FPV Coalition have a website? We do. It is not live yet. We will announce on Facebook as soon as it is as soon as it's live. Oh, okay. Because I was going to put it on the uh, information center of my website. We will let you know when we're ready for that. Alrighty. And we appreciate that. No. Um, let's see. What about uh, pre-flight checklists and how to work through that? Oh, you mean like range testing? <clears throat> yes. I don't ever do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably not as big of a deal for park flying, but. <laughs> oh, I fly everything. Okay, so getting thank you, Miata. Uh, he put in the chat location familiarity. Fam, okay, I'm not even gonna try. Just read it. Um, and looking over areas for obstacles. Yeah, I like that. Well, I do do those, and I actually do a small flight where I'm going slow and making sure that I do not lose FPV or any of that type of thing. I'm looking for dead zones in your RF. Yeah, I usually do that too on my first pack. And then I rip it. <laughs> <laughs> on some of them. 
Not everything I have is a ripper. <laughs> Miata, when you put charging protocols there, are you thinking about things like uh, parallel charging and charging, uh, you know, to one C safe, you know, safety things? Is that what you're thinking about? I get so many questions about parallel charging. Everybody I would, does. I wouldn't even include Don't parallel worry. charging in that. Just safety. <laughs> 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 Don't do it. <laughs> I think it is a if bad idea myself. Ask. Don't. Yeah, it's. I I used to parallel charge. I'm shying away from it these days. I've had it ruin too many batteries just from. Uh, kind of corrupting a battery from a a crappy battery and. That that's never any good. Yeah, I parallel charge, but I don't inhale. Is that what you're trying to suggest? <laughs> <laughs> I've done it, and we're moving on. <laughs> I do it for my one S batteries. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't yeah. mind doing that, but uh, yeah, I I just got a brand new pack of batteries, and uh, yeah, no, uh, we're we're keeping those uh, pristine. I, I will say I'm probably not the best person with uh, battery care all the time, um, I'm but I've, I've learned a lot, so this next set yeah. of batteries will last me a while. Hey, Josh, one of the things on uh, that uh, Miata's note here um, uh, prompts is uh, transportation of batteries, in particular batteries that have been um, destroyed, damaged, and not, not destroyed, but just damaged, and so oh, I'll just put it in the car. Poofy gotcha. Um, yeah, puffed, puffed, or where you know we suspect punctured. the internal, yeah, the internal cells are uh, punctured or ruptured. Sacrifice it on site. <laughs> yeah, you got it. A lot safer than putting it in the car. That's yes. What I do. I do not mess with those. Yeah. Yep. No. Um. All right. Oh, you got that on there. Okay. So definitely, uh, some good info here. They decide to go poof. I like that, Miata. <laughs> All right. Um, now, what kind of uh, what kind of uh, actual operational knowledge um, as you're flying should be included in the test? Um, and think of scenarios. So, you know, somebody walks into your flying field or you know an airplane comes you know i'm thinking the... Uh, the first the first one was that i would think of is what do you monitor and uh right um i stopped um using a timer because i i'm just watching uh, a voltage on the osd right and that's it's much more useful than you know using a uh uh step down or countdown timer like we would uh, with a fixed wing the heck of a I lot more accurate. Both, yeah. I use, I use a, uh, I use uh, uh, telemetry and uh, OSD, depending. Yeah. Some of my quads yeah. don't even have OSD, so. <laughs> so, so if we're so if we're trying to uh, bring along a, a newcomer, and they're saying, "Well, you know what? The, you know, I'm tr I'm trying to get this thing in the air, and I'm flying. What should I be worried about?" No yep. matter what, they need one or the other. Yeah, yes. I got all over well X Hover because they have they've been shipping their bind and fly without OSD or telemetry. It had nothing, so there's no way to know how your battery is. I said that is so stupid. 
<laughs> Not to mention expensive. Yeah, I mean, in this, where we are technologically in the price of things these days, I mean, it's got to have one or the other. Yeah, I like um, that characterization, one or the other. Yep. Uh, what about how to prep your spotter? I know spotter is a touchy subject, but right now it's required. So, you mean like communication between you and your spotter? Yep, communication. Um, what they communicate with them, what they're going to be looking for, what they need to inform you of, you know, that kind of thing. Look in different yeah. spots for a few seconds and then move and shift periodically. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So not just stand there and look at their cell phone the whole time and not communicate with people? There you go. And, yeah. you know, the the new everyone on this call probably knows that the new reauthorization uh, legislation allows us to fly beyond visual line of sight if we have a spotter that does have the uh, UAS in, uh, in line of sight. So a good example of that was um, put your spotter uh, in a car. Yeah, you got all <laughs> oh, that. Uh, not not quite in video. a car, but yeah, the stingy video was legit. That's funny. Yeah. Always looking for the loopholes, aren't we, guys? Now, well, if we could just get our dogs to be spotters, like, true they, they would work, work very well. Oh my god. <laughs> Bark three times if there's a person. Four times yeah, if there's gonna, an airplane. <laughs> now we're gonna, they pay attention better than uh, <laughs> most people. Than <laughs> some spotters. Yep. <clears throat> what else, guys? Uh, so, yeah, I like the preparation idea of uh, for a spotter because um, I, I've managed flight lines on uh, large fixed wing events. And uh, you know, guys will come up and they'll say, yeah, sure, I'll be happy to spot. And they've got a uh, video camera in their hand. And they're watching other pilots and it's like, no, this is serious. You've got to put that down. You have got to watch. And then it's like, well, what do you want me to look at? And, well, you have to look at the, you know, the sky around your, uh, your pilot, not, the, where, not where they're flying, but where they're not flying and what could potentially come in contact with them. So the, the briefing and educating of the spotter to me is that, that's a good point. Yep, very good point. I mean, I've had I've had a spotter save my save my hiney a few times, and uh, you know I, there are certain times, and and I'll be the first one to admit, you know, in the past I've not always flown with a spotter, but if I'm out in the middle of nowhere, it's there's a difference on if I'm flying with a in a park or something like that. So. You know, or, with a, or with a bunch of other pilots. Yeah, I absolutely. Yep. I know I kind of touched on it earlier, but getting into more detail about antennas and antenna patterns and the differences between omnidirectional and patch antennas. Okay. Um, I feel like I, yeah, there's okay. a lot of people out there who don't really have a good grasp on that, and they fly behind themselves and wonder why the signal is really poor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely. a great point. Yep. Yeah, that's a good one. Maybe one other thing would be um, a new quad test procedure. Uh, you don't just uh, like a shakedown. And yeah, well, you know, wiggle the sticks a little bit, make sure everything's moving correctly, not just you know powering up throttle max and <laughs> see what happens. 
Yeah. <laughs> a, a, new, a new quad free flight. And don't forget to test it in your living room. <laughs> right. Hook it up to your computer with prep time. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, but at least you don't have to worry about it getting away from you. That's right. Doesn't it doesn't get stuck in a tree that way. Absolutely. Just into the drywall. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, I think I would probably die a thousand deaths from from my fiance for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I think I've got some good stuff. If you guys think of anything else, um, the one big part I think we, we touched on it a little bit earlier. So, at what point? And I kind of want to discuss it a little more, so I'm sorry if I'm going back on something. At what point do we release a newcomer into, you know... The wild? (laughs) Yeah, basically. And I'm thinking more of the youth here. I'm thinking of, uh, you know, do we create a test that's more approachable for that age group, or do we keep the test standard throughout? I do kind of like... Go ahead, oh, kids. Oh, I was just going to say, I think if they're under the supervision of an adult who already has passed the test, that maybe mm-hmm. the more lenient one, just as a beginner's. Um, okay. That's kind of my thought. Yeah, But, you know, if you're under the supervision of a, an adult or a club, it'd be nice if they could administer the exam so when the said person is ready, you know, it's not just like, okay, go to this site, pay your money, and take your test. Or totally. Right, right. Okay, so local administration of the test. Yeah, and that's actually in the bill up there. It says that it could be uh, administered by a community-based organization. Absolutely. And that's one of the that things... That kind of personalizes it. Yeah, that personalizes it, and I think, you know, doesn't, won't necessarily drive anybody away, perhaps. Uh, who knows? I kind of like the idea of what they're doing in Canada where they have multiple levels of a test. And if you pass a more difficult test, then you're allowed to do more dangerous things. I I don't know if that's really something the FAA is willing to do, but just an idea. I like that a lot. I do too. Yeah. I mean, if you're expert class, you know, UAS pilot, then you can go into different areas of airspace and whatnot. That's, that's a really good idea. That's something we can at least suggest. What we don't want in uh, comparison to the Canadian regulations is the um, maintenance and um, the DYI aspect of it, you know, logs and, um, you know, from a, it, it's as if they just simply pulled the, uh, the full-scale aircraft um Certification and sign off of mechanical updates and applied it to all <laughs> drones. Yeah. Above to <laughs> so I agree completely. They've got some some uh, nice uh, ideas on the, the pilot certification, but golly, I sure don't want to uh, uh, replicate any of the uh, uh, the device uh, regulations. Right, the the repair log. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's for, that's you know, nuts. We, you know, we have to have an authorized manufacturer as well as uh, uh, or certification.
customizing uh, all of the uh, frames, sign off, you know, makes a ton of sense for full scale. I get that. Oh. So um, one of the questions also that I had was, uh, what do you think, and this is kind of an idea we've kicked around internally, what do you think or do you feel that the FAA is leaning towards making everybody a 107 pilot? If they redid the exam, I'd be all right with it. But as the exam stands, it's like so much of it is worthless. I agree. I, I mean, I've passed it, and it's it's not really rele relevant at all. So, I mean, should so going back to that, should the 107 test be the exam? I mean, if it's not relevant, I mean, should we? Are you guys down with creating a completely new type of test? I guess is where I'm going. Yeah, I was going to say not in its current form. I don't think. That okay. This should be the way. Awesome. The, one of the reasons that this has come to mind is we we look at the um, the various uh, announcements for comments coming out of the. Uh, the FAA, the safe and secure document, and 200 and some odd pages. The um, safe uh, flying without a, uh, a waiver for flying over people, flying at night. All of those pertain to 107 um, uh, certificate holders. It seems so, like the, the, the biggest push right now is getting some of the commercial uh, regulations hashed out. And um, I'm a little concerned personally where that's going to leave the hobby, the recreational flyers. And I'm, I feel like they're just going to say, okay, this is good for the commercials. Let's just push that over. Let's just roll that over to the obvious. And that's my biggest fear right now. Um, I don't know if any of you guys share that, but, um, uh, I'm just, yeah, that's kind of scaring me and it's really scaring me for the future of the hobby. I agree with you. Definitely. So um, that's about all I have, Dave. I don't know if you've got anything extra for this evening. No, I was just going to add on that last point that um, the, the approach that we're, uh, we're taking is that we want to focus um, on recreational FPV. And by pushing on recreational FPV, uh, we, we want to assert a minimum, minimum and appropriate amount of the testing that we've done and the regulations that we've been talking about and you know, for continuation of things like uh, section 349 and, uh, and not uh, having those all ab abolished and uh, changed into uh, 107. So that's, that's our direction. And happily that's the direction that the AMA is pushing uh, as well. So we'll, we are in uh, lockstep with them on that uh, idea. I welcome any comments and criticisms on that. I think the 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 ultimate goal here, guys, is to keep the um, entry barrier into the hobby as low as we can possibly keep it, while providing the information to the operators of what they're going to need to know and what rules they need to follow. Um, that way they're flying safe, they're flying legally, um, but they can just pick it up and go out as quickly as possible. And I think in order for this hobby to continue on the way it's been, it's got to be easy. It's got to be simple. 
So, um, and a lot of this stuff, guys, this is not rocket science, the stuff that you guys gave me, but at the same time, it's great knowledge that we can pass on and can incorporate into training and materials and an exam and all this good stuff. So I really appreciate the feedback, guys. Agreed. Absolutely. So anything you guys have for us, any questions that we can answer, anything like that? Nope, that's about it. All right, guys. I mean, well, would, thank you. I would love oh, to... go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see where the WHOOP class, one S, is just exempt from all this. I mean, then you don't have any barrier to entry. Uh, you yeah, know, and I think the, from, the from the documentation we've seen, the FAA is uh, copying both the Canadian uh, number as well as the European number of under 250 grams. So I think anything that is under 250 grams is going to be extremely popular worldwide because it'll be it'll have minimal um, regulation in Canada and have minimum rec minimal or regulation in Europe and it will be a category one um, uh, UAS in the United States under 107 which means just has to weigh less than um, 250 grams, and probably the props, I think, need to be shrouded. Yeah. <clears throat> but no uh, kinetic energy requirements like Category 2 or Category 3. Yeah, that would be good. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's definitely something um, we've been talking about is that it's going to get really, really popular, that class. And... I mean, it's a great starter class for just about anybody getting into the hobby. I mean, I know I started with a Hubson, if any of you guys remember those. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So. yeah and a, and a, a two-inch or three-inch. Nano inch QX. Yeah. I think that's what yeah. I started with, Nano QX. Yeah, so. and the, the new, uh, new two-inch and three-inch with a, a split or a you know that type of technology is uh, pretty viable. Yep, absolutely. All right, guys. Well, on that note, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. Um, I really do appreciate, again, your guys' feedback. And um, next week, we're going to be talking about no-fly zones. So feel free to jump in and give us your opinions and answer some questions on that. There shouldn't be any. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> appreciate it, guys. All right, folks. Thank you very Have much. Have a good one. Have a great night. Yep, have a great evening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.